All right. Before we, uh, before we jump in, I want to acknowledge uh, a very significant event that's happening this weekend, and I'm not talking about the Super Bowl. Uh, I'm talking about the fact that we are actually birthing a new campus, and so I want to give a shout out to all of you who are watching on video um, at our new West Campus. We are very excited for you and the partnership that we share um, one church, multiple locations. Um, and so we pray God's blessing upon you today and are excited about what God is going to do there at Christ Community West. Um, the second exciting announcement, last weekend we had a great worship uh, leader here, a guest worship leader named Dan Wakefield. Um, he was interviewing for our 15th Street Campus Worship Pastor position since John Olson is, is going to be involved in the West Campus. And Dan did a great job. Um, we actually offered him the position and he accepted. Um, so we're very excited about that. So he and his family are gonna, hoping to be here within a month. Um, so let me mention one specific need. They're looking for a house to rent initially that they can move into as soon as possible on, on perhaps a month-to-month lease. Um, and they're exploring a few leads. But if you know of any house that might be available um, very soon in this month, please let me know or call the church office. That would be great. Okay, if you have your Bible or your iPad, please uh, turn to Genesis chapter 39. We are in the midst of a teaching series in which we're looking at the life of Joseph as described in the latter chapters of the book of Genesis. We're, We're calling this teaching series Under Construction because it shows us how God brings transformation into our lives. We, you know, when we, when we think about how change happens in our lives, how we become more like Christ, we typically think of things like uh, prayer or, and, and Bible study and community, all of which are really important in terms of how we grow spiritually. But there is actually something else that God often uses as well, and it's something we don't like very much, and that something is adversity, difficulty. Even though we don't like going through hardships, the reality is God often uses those things to mold us into the people that he wants us to be. And that's really what this section in Genesis is ultimately about. These latter chapters, it's ultimately about that. And it's what we see specifically in Genesis chapter 39. Joseph experiences a very specific kind of hardship one that all of us face regularly, and yet I don't think we realize how significant this particular hardship is. So what is it? Temptation. Temptation. In chapter 39, Joseph encounters three different kinds of temptation, and his response is incredible. What what, what this chapter reveals is how God can use temptation to, to, again, help mold us and transform us. Now, the key issue, however, is how we respond to it. It's not just the temptation. It's how we respond to it. Because a lot of times, we, we, we kind of blow through temptation, right? We, we, don't, we don't see temptations as all that big of a deal. And so we, we find ourselves giving in to a particular temptation over and over and over again. And here's the problem with that. While God's grace is sufficient to cover all of our sin, the reality is how we respond to temptation will shape us. 
the trajectory of our lives will be determined by how we respond to temptation. Each little temptation doesn't feel like that big of a deal. But over time, those little decisions begin to actually shape our character and ultimately our destiny. Part of what it means to be under construction is learning how to face temptation. So let's, let's look at and learn from Joseph's example. Let me set the context here. Um, Jacob had a number of sons. One of them, Joseph, was the favored son. Jacob spoiled Joseph by lavishing gifts upon him, which made his brothers extremely jealous and angry. Joseph also had these dreams that he shared with his brothers, dreams about ruling over them, which, which only made them matter. And so one day, the brothers decided to take Joseph and sell him into slavery to some Midianite traders who were on their way to Egypt. And then the brothers went home and told their father Jacob that Joseph had been killed. Okay, that brings us to chapter 39, verse 1, where we see three specific temptations that Joseph faces. And they're, they're temptations that all of us face as well. The first is revealed in verses 1 through 7. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From, from the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not with Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Okay, the temptation that we see in this first section relates to the issue of power. The issue of power, how we obtain it and how we use it. Almost overnight, Joseph goes from favored status in the family to menial servant, right? Stripped of his clothing and ripped from his family, he is alone with nothing to his name in a strange land. He becomes a slave in Potiphar's household, so he is low man on the totem pole. Now, how does he respond? How does this spoiled teenager, 17 years old, right? How does a spoiled teenager that had everything going his way and he could get away with anything he wanted to do, how does he respond to suddenly being a nobody? This is a defining moment in Joseph's life. Whether he knows it or not, he is being faced with a very significant temptation as it relates to power. How do we respond when we are not in a position of power? Maybe we're the youngest grade at our school. Or maybe we got fired from our job and are now starting a new job at the bottom. So what do we do? In these situations, there are two options. One, Joseph could, could, could start moping around, griping about how he deserved better, giving out a half-hearted effort because he knows he shouldn't be there. I mean, that's one option. 
And it's an option that we are all tempted to take when we are thrust into a situation where we are on the, on, low on the totem pole after being high on the totem pole somewhere else. It is very easy for us to mope around and put out minimal effort. And we want everyone to know that we deserve better. But Joseph didn't take that option. He, he responded very differently in the, in the midst of this temptation. So, so what did he do? He started serving faithfully. He started serving faithfully. Joseph was faithful in the little things. He didn't pout. He didn't gripe about what he should be doing or could be doing. No, he just started serving faithfully. And very soon, Potiphar began to take notice of this and it elevated him to be his personal attendant, eventually then letting Joseph be in charge of his whole household. I mean, this is such an important principle. Maybe you're working at some fast food restaurant or maybe you're starting your, own, your, your career and you're in an entry-level position in, in some company. You're at the bottom of the food chain. How will you respond now, here, here's the way, here, here's a way or the way to make sure you stay at or near the bottom, okay? Here's a guaranteed way to make sure you stay there. Just mope around and do a half-hearted job. That will guarantee a low position for you for a very long time. So what is the quickest way out of a position like that? Be a hard-working faithful employee. Show up on time. Have a great attitude. Serve people well. Work hard. Go over and above whether people are watching or not. Because this is ultimately about you and God. When we work hard, you know, we, we are not only honoring our employer, we are honoring God. So, so when you're in a position where you don't have power that you think, that, that you, think you deserve, how do you respond to that? There's a temptation here. Do, do you gripe and give half-hearted effort? Or do you serve with all your heart? Now, there's actually a flip side to this particular temptation here, this power temptation. What do we do with power when we have it? What do we do then with power when we have it? How do we use the power and authority that we have been given um, notice how Joseph uses it. As he gets promoted, he just continues to bless his employer. He uses his influence to be a blessing to others. Now, that's, not, that's often not how people use power when they finally obtain it. In fact, I was talking to someone in a, a, a position in a, a workplace and he was talking about the guy that's been there for like 25 years and how lazy he is, you know, and how he always orders people around and all that stuff. That typically is what happens when we get into positions of power, right? And there's a, there's a great example of this. Potiphar's wife is a pretty powerful example of how, how people tend to use power when they get it. Verse 6, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Now, we're going to look at this in more detail in a moment under the second temptation area. But, but before we go there, I want us to notice how Potiphar's wife uses power. She obviously has power. I mean, she is, she's used to getting what she wants, 
when she wants it, living a life of luxury. Um, She sees that Joseph is a hunk, and so she says, come to bed with me. Now, the actual Hebrew here um, is much more forceful. She only uses two words, and they're a command. Basically, what she said is something like sex now. That's what the text tells us. It was a command. It is not an invitation. It is an order. She is using her power to control people and use people for her benefit. And this is a huge temptation for any of us who are in positions of power, where we have authority over other people. Here's the critical question. If you're in a position of power over anyone, here's the critical question. How are we using that power? What are we using that power for? I've been, uh, I've been reading this amazing leadership book entitled uh, Multipliers, How the Best Leaders Make Everyone Smarter by Liz Wiseman. Every leader or manager or owner of a company or educator ought to read this book. Um, it is that powerful and convicting. Um, but the author shared uh, or studied all sorts of leaders And they realize, these authors realize that every leader comes in one of two categories. Some leaders are what she calls multipliers. They pour life into the people under them. They add value. They inspire. The other kind of leader she refers to as diminishers. They diminish the people under them, discouraging input and productivity. Now, what's so challenging about this book is that a lot of times we don't realize we're diminishing people until we read the book. It's like, oh man, I didn't know that. She calls us accidental diminishers. The way we accidentally, we don't even intend to do it, but we're diminishing people and we don't realize it. Now here's the fundamental difference between these two leaders. A diminishing leader is focused on one question. How can I use these people to accomplish what I want? a successful business, or whatever. How can I use these people under me to accomplish what I want? It's all about his or her agenda. Usually diminishers are poor listeners. They they are control freaks. They don't value input. They don't welcome input from people around them or under them. Often they're angry. They create a fear-based environment where no one feels valued or important because no one feels like they're listened to. Or value. Diminishers use power to get what they want. Now, in, in contrast, multipliers ask a very different question. Multipliers ask this question How can I use my power to make the people under me successful? How can I use my power? to make the people under me successful. So multipliers use their power to help other people succeed. They value those around them by asking questions and and getting input, by trusting the people under them rather than trying to control them and order them around all the time. Huge difference. Huge difference in terms of of morale and output, huge difference. And, And all of us here probably know what it's like to work under a boss who values us versus one who uses us. All of us know the difference. If you're in a position of power, how are you using that power? Is it to help you succeed and get what you want? 
or is it to help others succeed? And by the way, if you want to know whether or not you're an accidental diminisher, um, there's a quiz you can take on their website. So the website is multipliersbook.com, multipliersbook.com. Go to that, um, look for the accidental diminisher quiz, and there's actually one for educators, and there's a different one for business organizations or business leaders. So I encourage you to check it out and then get the book because it's fantastic. Okay, so Joseph used his newly found power to bless others, not to use others to gain more power or accomplish his own agenda. And, and, and by the way, not as a side note, this is, this is significant. This is how Jesus used power as well, right? This is how, exactly how Jesus used power, laying down his life, blessing those uh, under him. I think this particular temptation of power, it's, it's a temptation we don't talk about much. It's a huge temptation for us as followers of Jesus. If, if we're wanting to become more like Jesus, it is critical that we overcome this temptation to use power for our own benefit and instead to use our power, whatever authority we have, doesn't mean we have to be the top dog, it's whatever authority we have that we use that to bless others. Okay, the second temptation that Joseph faced was related to sex. So um, let, me, let me read beginning in verse 6. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Okay, Joseph is an incredible example here of how we are to face sexual temptation. Here is this desperate housewife, right, continually trying to seduce him. The text says that day after day, she would approach him. I mean, and isn't that just like our culture in terms of this whole area of sexual immorality, sexual temptation, we are bombarded with sexual temptation. The, the relentless pop-up ads that, that lure us to just take a look at this link and pictures are there. You just, in, in five seconds, you're, you're, you're headed down that path. Or various other influences and in trying to encourage us, urge us to indulge in lust or in fantasy and sexual engagement with another person. It is constantly going after us. It is a, it's a constant battle. One that Joseph found himself in, and yet he, he resisted. So what did he do to resist this particular temptation? There are a number of helpful pr- principles here for us in our battle for sexual purity. And let, me, let me mention them here, three of them that I want to highlight. First of all, focus clearly on the consequences. Focus clearly on the consequences. Did you notice Joseph's first response? My master trusts me, he said. 
He has entrusted everything in his, in his house to my care. Why would I violate that trust by sleeping with you? See, I love how Joseph clearly focuses on what giving in to this temptation would cost him. He realizes the impact this will have in terms of his position and his trust. One of Satan's biggest tactics when it comes to sexual temptation is this. He wants us to not think about the consequences. He wants us to not think about the consequences. He wants us to believe that this particular behavior will will harm no one. No one's going to be hurt. It's just going to be a little fun, just a little innocent fun. Our culture is all in on this, (laughs) that sex is just a fun activity, that you can do it with whoever you like. It's all about the pleasure you experience. No commitments it's all about the pleasure you experience. I mean, that, that's the Kool-Aid that everyone is drinking. The problem is, it doesn't work. Sex is a God-given gift that is reserved for the context of marriage, where two people have committed themselves to each other for life. Sex is an expression of absolute commitment and love. It, it is an act of giving not taking, giving our whole self to another person. Not just physically, it is a spiritual activity. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 that to have sex with a prostitute is to become one with her. He's not just talking about physical oneness. He's talking about soul oneness. That's what makes sex so powerful. God made it powerful as a way to experience complete union with another person. No walls, no barriers. I'm giving myself completely to you. You see, sex is not the end game. It is an expression of the committed love of marriage. Sex is not the point. It's an expression of the committed love of marriage. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. We don't like to hear that verse. We don't like to look at that verse. Because what Paul is saying is that sexual sin is different than other sins. Not in terms of being more heinous in God's eyes. I mean, sin is sin. There aren't categories of sin. Sin is sin. I'm not talking about that. But Paul is saying that sexual sin is different in its impact on us. It it has a soul impact on us. It exerts a power over us. It touches us at the depth of our being. You see, our society wants wants to believe that hooking up is no big deal or that porn is just an innocent activity, but our soul says differently. And in our more honest moments, we know it. We know our society's lying to us about this, that it impacts us more deeply than just a superficial, pleasurable activity. It impacts us deeply. We know that in our more honest moments. And so what Joseph reminds us of is the importance of focusing on the consequences. For instance, when, tempted, when we're tempted to flirt with someone at work who is not our spouse, 
we need to remember where this is going to lead and think really clearly, oh, that's going to lead to that and that and that, and then my spouse and my kids will be impacted. Do I really want to go there? Is it really worth it? Or when tempted to sleep with our boyfriend, we need to remember that we're giving away the most precious part of ourselves to this person who is not committed to us in any official way. They could be done with us tomorrow. They've not stood before God and witnesses and said, I'm committed to you for life. They're not committed to us in any official way. Do we really want to give our whole self to that person? Do we really want this person's fingerprints on our soul forever? Statistics reveal that sleeping together before marriage doesn't improve the relationship, even though our society will tell differently. Statistics reveal that it it doesn't. In fact, it, it makes things like divorce and sexual difficulty in marriage more likely to occur. We need to focus on the consequences of what we're thinking about doing and ask, is that really what I want to do? Is that really the path I want to head down? Another example, when tempted to look at porn, we need to remember the consequences. And in our society, there aren't any consequences. There are consequences. How porn will enslave us. How it will impact our relationship with our spouse. It will. How it will impact how we view and treat women. Um, or, or if women looking at porn, objectifying people. I mean, science reveals, scientific data reveals that porn use creates pathways in our brain It rewires our brain. It it creates pathways in our brain that lead to an addiction to dopamine, which results in a loss of joy in the ordinary things of life. That's what happens when you get addicted to dopamine. It's always the next high. And and the the joys of ordinary life just kind of lose their, their luster. Porn can cause difficulty experiencing healthy sexual relations with your spouse. I mean, the consequences are long. The list is long. So what if the next time porn begins to entice us, we think about where it will lead and we ask, do I really want to go there? Satan does not want us to look at the consequences before the action. And then, of course, he beats us up on the other side. When we give in, he beats us up on the other side. So he's a jerk either way, but he doesn't want us to look at the consequences. He wants us to ignore those. So Joseph here is a great example. He was honestly looking at the consequences and saying, why would I do that? My master is entrusted with all this stuff. Why would I throw that away? A second thing Joseph does here in the midst of temptation is place it in the context of God's heart. Place it in the context of God's heart. Joseph says in verse 9, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? See, Joseph recognizes the presence and the favor of God on his life. Multiple times in this passage, the author tells us that God was with him. God was with him. Over and over again, we're told, God is with him. See, when we know in our experience the joy of closeness with God, when we are welcoming his presence into every part of our everyday, every part of our everyday lives and all of that, When when we're doing that, it makes sexual immorality way less appealing. I'm not talking about experiencing God as a policeman. That's the image a lot of us have, you know, especially when it comes to this area. He's just kind of waiting, you know, for us to mess up. He's going to 
beat us on the head a little bit or whatever. You know, that, that, that image, that negative image. I'm not talking about that. You know, I'm talking about experiencing God as a lover and a friend. When you know God at that level, when you're finding your joy and your satisfaction in him, the pull of sexual sin seems to lessen when we're finding our joy in him. Why do something that's so opposed to my God's heart? Why would I do that? That's what Joseph is saying. Why would I sin against God in this way? Not an, oh, I'm afraid he's going to punish me. It's, why would I do that? Why do something that will enslave me and steal my heart away from him, my first love? There's there's one other thing Joseph does that's so incredibly wise when he finds himself in a situation where he's likely to give in, right? She's not letting him go. She has him cornered. What does he do? He runs. <laughs> he runs away. And here's the principle with sexual temptation. Paul actually repeats this in 1 Corinthians 6. Flee. Flee sexual immorality, Paul says. Flee. Get out of the situation. I mean, we all know how powerful the pull of sexual sin is. In those moments where we're feeling pulled, get out of there. Willpower is not going to work. Just say no is not going to work. In these kinds of situations, you have to get out. We have to get out of the circumstances. Otherwise, we'll give in. Now, fleeing may mean any number of things. It may mean avoiding a particular person at work with whom you've kind of found yourself flirting. And fleeing is, I'm just, I'm avoiding that person. I'm not going to continue to text this person. I'm not going to, that that kind of thing. Fleeing may mean getting rid of things that that lead you into this temptation. If it's porn, you know, maybe it means putting controls or filters on on the devices where we're tempted to look at porn. A few weeks ago, I mentioned a filter that's very helpful. It's called MobySip. You can find out more at MobySip.com. It can be put on iPhones and iPads and Android devices and all that um, just, just to help. It, it, it's a practical way to do this. I mean, sexual temptation, and we all know this, but it's, it's like the proverbial snowball at the top of the hill, right? It's much easier to stop at the top of the hill when it's just a little snowball than, than it is to stop it once it gets rolling down the hill. I mean, the moment we start moving toward this particular sin, or the moment we start planning, oh yeah, I'm going to be around that person tomorrow and I'm going to say this or I'll text them that. Or, or, you know, the moment we start planning in our mind how we're going to kind of give in to this later when we're alone or whatever, the moment that starts happening, we need to flee. To, to try to resist in our own strength is absolutely futile. So Joseph is, is an absolute stud, really, in this whole situation, an incredible model for us, for our young people today, in the midst of such a sexually charged culture, and a model for all of us. This guy is a stud in how he follows God in this situation. And in doing so, his character, this is a part of his, his a character being transformed and being shaped and formed by God. How he responds to these temptations is strengthening him. Again, I want to reiterate, how we respond to temptation will significantly impact the trajectory of our lives. Yeah, it's one little decision, one, oh, it's just a little decision. Over and over, those little decisions begin to determine the destiny of our lives, the trajectory of our lives. 
Because the pull of the sin becomes more powerful with every temptation we just ignore and just kind of blow through. Okay, so what happens next? Verse 13. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his, his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Okay, so after Joseph flees, in order to honor his master, Potiphar's wife makes up this story. She falsely accuses Joseph of trying to have sex with her. She tells all the other servants and then tells it to her husband when he comes home. He is furious, and so he throws Joseph into prison, which leads to the third temptation that Joseph faces. Bitterness. Bitterness. Think of what has happened to him. Beyond just being sold into slavery by his brothers, and that was bad enough, he then serves faithfully in Potiphar's house, earning his trust. He is promoted and continues to bless Potiphar's household. Everything is good. When, when this temptation is blatantly thrown and placed in his path, he chooses to do the right thing over and over again. He chooses to say no and to honor his master. In every way, Joseph is doing the right thing, the honorable thing, the godly thing. And you know what, hap what happens? He is falsely accused of sexual assault. And suddenly this master that trusted him with everything is furious with him and throws him in jail. This, this is not like chapter 37 where Joseph was sort of being a jerk and, and his brothers hated him, right? No, this, this was Joseph following God, doing the right thing and still getting thrown into prison. How do we respond in these situations? When we're doing everything we know we're supposed to be doing in terms of our relationship with God. We're going to church and, and we're in a small group. We're trying to love people and we're tithing and all that stuff. We're doing all we can to follow God and something bad happens in our lives. Something incredibly unjust, unfair. We get fired or whatever. Something incredibly unjust. What do we do with that? You see, the temptation is to become bitter. It's to become bitter at God bitter at life, bitter at other people who, who um, you know, treated us badly, we start thinking to ourselves, boy, a lot of good God did me, you know? <clears throat> following God just got me into more trouble, more hassles. A lot of good, you know, following him did me. <clears throat> life was easier when I didn't follow God. That's exactly where Satan wants us to go. He wants us to start questioning the goodness of God. He wants us to focus on being the victim, right? He loves to get us to just to focus on being the victim. He wants us to start becoming cynical and, and negative. That's what bitterness does. 
It turns us into bitter, critical, negative people. It, it turns us into people who are callous and who are merciless. So what did Joseph do? Again, there's a significant temptation here. He, could, he has a choice. Verse 20, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. See, Joseph could have, could have become bitter, but he didn't. He instead continued to walk in, in God's favor, being faithful wherever God placed him. I mean, that takes an amazing amount of trust in God to be able to do that, to continue to trust God even when injustice is happening and we're being mistreated. Are we able to trust God even then? And how can we even do that? We do it by looking to Jesus, who, who is not only our example, he is our Savior and even though he didn't deserve it, he, the perfect son of God, took upon himself our sin. I mean, talk about injustice. He gave his life for us. He was beaten. He was tortured for us. Which means we really can trust him. Even when circumstances are unfair and unjust, even when we feel forgotten, we can trust him. Now, there's an interesting and important Thing that we're going to see as the story unfolds, but I want to give us just a little window into this here because it's, it's significant. Think, think about this. If you know the story, think about this. Had Joseph remained in Potiphar's house, just continued there being successful and all that, had he remained in Potiphar's house, he never would have been elevated to a position in which he could save Egypt during the famine that's coming. Joseph had to be sent to prison in order for all these events to transpire. <laughs> I mean, we're going to see that in prison, he interpreted the dreams of two of Pharaoh's officials, which eventually opened a door for him to be consulted when Pharaoh had a dream. You see, but here's the deal. No, no prison, no promotion. That's what the story says. No prison, no promotion. I mean, from Joseph's vantage point, his situation seemed terribly unfair and unjust and hopeless. But from God's perspective, it's all a part of the plan. When we are tempted to despair and to become bitter at our circumstances, how, how life isn't turning out the way we thought it would, we need to remember that we have a God who is still at work. We have a God that we can trust, a God who loved us so much that he was willing to endure the ultimate injustice in order that we might have a relationship with him. Whatever the temptation, power, sex, bitterness, Jesus is with us and can help us face and overcome those temptations so that they don't define our lives but rather they become instruments God uses to transform our lives. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come.
Thank you for speaking to us. We pray you'd continue to speak as we respond to you. There are a couple of areas I want to focus on here in prayer. First of all, in a message like this, there is a usually a high level of shame when we hear a message like this and we just start thinking about all the temptations we've given in to. And here's the way Satan uses that. I mentioned you know, how he beats us up on the other side of temptation. Here's how Satan would love to use this. He would love to tell some of us here, you're out of the game. You, you messed up so bad. You are forever on the C team. I mean, you, you did this, you did that, sexually, you know, all this stuff. You know, he just wants to attach that to us, that we're disqualified for God ever using us because of what we've done. And I don't want any of us to hear this message and to attach to it a level of shame and guilt that just hangs on, that we can never get rid of. So here's what I want us to do with this particular, if that's what you're experiencing right now, I want you to bring it to the cross right now. Whatever the offense was, maybe multiple ones, involvement in sexual immorality or abusing power or what bitterness, whatever it is, just bring it to the Lord. Just confess the ways that, that, I'm not talking about temptation here, I'm talking about times we've blown through the temptation when we've just given in. Just bring that to the cross right now in the quiet of your heart. Confess it and leave it there. Leave it there. Jesus, thank you for your death on the cross and we can bring these things, the things that fill us with guilt and shame and remorse and all that. We can bring these things to the cross and we don't have to be ruled by shame anymore and by guilt. We leave them at the cross and we can declare we are forgiven because of Jesus. Lord, I want to pray for anyone here who thinks they're disqualified from serving you because of what they've done. You know, they, they just think they're forever on the C team, on the bench. I pray you would open their eyes to see that you have a purpose for their lives and a plan. That you are able to use even our mistakes to somehow accomplish your purposes. And so I pray that we could learn from those mistakes and that we could choose to follow you from this day forward. So I pray for that. Now there's a second area here. I want us to, I want us to think about temptation. Specific areas of temptation in our lives. Maybe for you it's power. And in your workplace you're all about controlling people and causing people to fear and and negative, and you don't really listen to input, you don't value people, and maybe the Lord is saying, I want that to stop. I want you to learn how to use power to serve and to bless others. I've entrusted you with this power to use to bless others. So maybe you just need to ask the Lord right now for help to get serious about this temptation Just tell the Lord that in the quiet of your heart.
Maybe there are others of us here who we can think of a specific sexual temptation. And maybe we've given into it a number of times and the Lord is saying, okay, what about today? What are you going to do in response to the word? What does fleeing look like? What, what, what commitments are you going to make to change the trajectory of this? It's done too much damage. So what are you going to do? The Lord is just saying, what are you going to do? And so Lord, I want to pray into that. I want to just pray. God, it's not about, as much about what we're going to do as much as just our desire to respond to you. And we do want to commit ourselves. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would bring to mind specific action steps. It's time to get rid of something. It's time to take action. That you would give us the courage to do that. Because, Lord, many of us here, we're just tired of the places that the, 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 this sexual temptation has taken us and the things it's robbed from us. And so we pray today you would give us the courage to resist this temptation. And I would just encourage you, specific things. Have the Lord give you specific things. Action steps. I'm going to do this and this and this. Before I go to bed tonight, I'm going to do this and this. And the third, this area of bitterness. But I, I pray for those here who have had injustice happen to them, maybe in their marriage, maybe at work, and, and there is a root of bitterness that has begun to form. And maybe it's just cause them to say, why well, trust you, Lord? I mean, if I trusted you and look where it got me. I pray for protection around these folks. They would resist this temptation of becoming bitter and instead would trust you that you're at work that you're at work and their hearts would be soft and open rather than hardened and, and critical and negative. Their hearts would grow as you fill those places with your presence in your life. So Lord, thank you for being with us in the midst of our temptation. We need you. We acknowledge our need of you. Help us to resist and to be transformed in these temptations. God, help us do that. Why don't we stand as the worship team's gonna lead us in some songs of response. And I encourage you, if the Lord's speaking to your heart, and you can feel free to sit down at some point if you wanna write some things down. If God's speaking to you, I believe he's gonna be giving specific insight and action steps for us. And I wanna encourage us to be attentive to that. Altar is open. We have an intercessor on my right and my left. So if you'd like to receive prayer anytime, just come up to these folks. They would love to pray for you. So Father, set us free to worship you. We love you. We love you, God. We trust you. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to fill us with power to resist temptation. Thank you, God. Thank you for your work.